0: For the 430 movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete, uncensored, ass kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yael Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind the scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex.
1: Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host Josh Miller and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. Now while we are still discussing the unmade version of John Carpenter's Firestarter, we are just going to pick up the conversation right where we left off in part one with our guests Chelsea Stardust and Phil Nobile Jr. Enjoy. Are there any details in between the Lancaster and the Phillips draft? Uh, Yeah,
3: um, because that one's that was driving me crazy because it was um, undated. And, you know, um, you know, if you listen to the show, I'm obsessed with putting it in a timeline. (laughs) And if I can't figure it out. But it does say on the cover
1: that it's based on Lancaster's screenplay. Mm -hmm. So we know it was after.
3: Yeah, it is after. So right now we're in March 1982, Um, April 1982, it gets announced again. He's doing Carpenter's doing Firestarter and he has to put El Diablo, his Western with Kurt Russell on the side once again. Then May 1982, as Phil was saying, like he was as a kid, he was reading newspapers and kept seeing them write up about this movie. I was going through some old newspapers and it's pretty wild. May 1982, June 1982. They're they're in Michigan and they're trying to find a three story mansion and a Victorian farmhouse to torch. And it was constantly out in the news. I was impressed at how much You know, this this was out there. They were like people were like, yeah, you could torch my house. I want six figures. And it was pretty wild. Like all these people were like trying to get in with Hollywood and have their homes or mansions burned for this movie. (laughs) And uh, so they were looking at Michigan and then he does. And then John Carpenter in June 1982 starts doing interviews for The Thing because The Thing is going to be released on June 25th. And one thing, one of the things, don't no pun, he mentions <laughs> in his interviews is that he's going to have final cut for Firestarter, pretty much. And it's something he's been trying to get for a long time. That's what he's been really excited about. And so now June 25th, 1982, The Thing is released theatrically. And do you all know what where, where it debuted on the top 10 when it came out, The
1: Thing? Actually, I mean, I know it did poorly, but I don't know where. It debuted. Um, Are you going to tell us? Yeah, <laughs> I, I just want to know if you <laughs> want to
3: take a guess, because I would have never guessed it, but it came in eighth place. Opening. I was about to say
4: tenth. Oh, okay
3: OK. Isn't that that's like insane. That's crazy. And, um, you know, E.T. was number one, Blade Runner, number two, Firefox, number three, Rocky three, number four, Star Trek two, number five, Annie six, Poltergeist seven. And it got lapped by these movies that were been playing for months, right? Yeah, Blade Runner 2. Blade Runner was
2: considered a failure. I know. Uh, yeah, uh, a...
3: Firefox was considered a, a dud. <laughs> Remember that video game, though? The arcade game was pretty cool, <laughs> but you had to use so many fucking quarters. <laughs> anyway, uh, man, Rocky 3, man, that shit was... I mean, Three anyway, yeah, was not... like a year-long engagement, probably. I mean, yep. I, th- oh, I my... think I
2: saw Rocky 3 that spring or something, so it just was in theaters for like a year, maybe.
3: It's crazy. Yeah, it was one of those that played forever. Oh, yeah, so... The thing comes out in eighth place guess what comes out in ninth place what megaforce first week so it didn't do as bad as megaforce <laughs> that's pretty interesting so it made three million opening weekend so then altogether it grossed 19 million dollars that summer which is
1: you know well, and i guess i, I feel like these kind of thing that everybody knows now but for those who don't know it's not even just that the thing was a huge flop that's one thing everyone hated it too yeah. like and again, not just critics, like horror fans also <laughs> hated. And I think that's what really torpedoed uh, Carpenter's career as relates to Firestar. It wasn't just that it did bad, because that's one thing. It was, it, it was that kind of movie that just like felt like a failure on all levels to the people at the time, especially execs, I'm sure.
3: Well, yeah. I remember, so I wanted to see it in the theaters and I couldn't go because my, my brother, oh, God damn. He's born again. I shouldn't say that. He told I'll never forget. He was like, well, it's supposed to be one of the goriest movies of the year. And did it and ruined my chances to see it. And so the fact that my young brother, my older brother, like even heard like how gory it was, that must have been turning people off because E.T. is number one. And then then again, I'm just watching a guy pull his face off and poltergeist. But
1: Ebert famously (laughs) called it a barf bag movie, which Mm -hmm. is like it's super gory, but it's like the gore is so almost It's like Baroque. It's like Mm -hmm. so insane that I feel, it it seems odd to me that you would watch it and that's your takeaway of just like, all this movie's trying to be is gross. Yeah, Yeah. it's not
2: slasher gore, it's inventive, you know, it's growing Mm -hmm. legs and stuff. Oh yeah. My my dad took me to see it in theater, man. I was terrified. I was afraid of my dog when I got home. I I I know, right? I wasn't wasn't born yet.
1: The (laughs) infamous summer of 1982, where like every movie was a banger. Good year, good year. year.
3: Yeah, it's in, yeah. you are lucky to get that experience. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, wait. So where would you leave All off, so, Steve? Yeah. So
3: now uh, June 1982, 30th, casting notes co- notices go out in Backstage Magazine for they're trying to find a young girl to play Charlie McGee. And so, um, yeah, and then 1982, July, uh, Children of Corn is optioned. Again, uh, I mean, How Roach Studios options Children of the Corn, and then <laughs> Hell, Roach, you know, because yeah.
2: Hal Roach is Little Rascal, so then yes, a Little Rascal yeah, Studio yeah. doing Children sense. of the
3: Corn. Now I got a whole new movie in my head, <laughs> right? Oh, it's gonna be a fun time. Uh, okay, and then okay, so this is what Bill Phillips said because I, I was trying to figure out when did this script come in, and then he said when John asked me, I immediately said yes. 30 days later, I turned in my script. Unfortunately, two days before that, Universal had canceled the production. <laughs> so it seems like this script never really had a chance. Like he just couldn't get it done on time.
1: Uh, and then I guess for those who don't, then Phillips went on to write Christine, which was the the movie that Carpenter famously just did for the money. And I, he's, he's such a famous curmudgeon that it actually did make me happy when he maybe it was for like the 4k blu-ray when he finally rewatched the movie for the first time in like 30 years and went on the record to be like you know what this movie's pretty good cuz uh, cuz i love christine that's christine's my favorite carpenter and that statement oh we'll, we'll get into that once we're done with the script talk about our our what if timeline um I mean, oh wait sorry I'll, steve did you have anything else
3: oh to put in your head while you're you go through this um he at the time um bill phillips said that he uh, richard dreyfus was going to be the father that was their idea huh. wow. and uh that's according to him and but yep that's it that's all i that's the only thing i could that, that was interesting period, he said yeah, yeah so i guess that's who you can keep in mind while going huh. through this
1: one I'm trying to think of what other movies he was in Had close encounters come out yet I'm yeah, bad yeah with- that's 79 oh yeah I think. yeah yeah yeah
4: after like, that they're like okay we need to see you as a positive father figure yeah and stuff.
1: <laughs> he hadn't quite he hadn't yeah. quite reached uh what about bob stage though mm-hmm. yeah but I, I think he had uh, i think he was a uh, I think he was still, do- I think he was doing good
3: after Jaws because I saw some newspaper ad of some random movie I'd never heard of, and it was like Strife is Strikes Again. And I was like, I guess he was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, the Goodbye yeah. Girl was a huge movie. There 77. you go. So that's, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. And then there was like another one he was in. Wait, I don't remember actually. Some played some detective or he something. A, he was a household oh, name for a long while there in the, yeah. in the 70s oh. and 80s. Oh, yeah. How can we American Graffiti? It was gigantic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he Frippin was on
1: Dorf's tribe. Oh, that Unless was later. later.
3: <laughs> oh, the Big Fix was the one I was trying to think of. Um, and then Down and Out in Beverly Hills come out later. In...
1: Yeah, I was I was trying to think of the other movies he was in mid eighties. Stakeout.
3: Oh, anyway, yeah, stakeout. now we're going too and Stakeout
1: far. too. Another stakeout. Yeah, get
3: out of control. And <laughs> Estevez remade it in Men at Work.
1: Uh, I like
3: all that. right anyway, anyway so that leads us uh, to august 1982 is around the time this bill phillips script is like handed in
1: yes this is an int- like this is a true just like rewrite of the lancaster script in the sense that it's taking most of everything like it keeps the same structure structure i guess you'd say it kind of keeps the stuff that's working and tries to t- tweak it a little bit like um even though maybe I was remembering it slightly wrong, this one definitely leans back into the idea. Again, it has Dr. Rob instead of Wanless or Rainbird. Mm-hmm. But this very much has a thing where they've reached a dead end once they've got Charlie to the shop. And they're just like, how do we communicate with her? And then someone, unlike John Rainbird, who it's part of his whole play- nefarious plan. That he's like, I'm going to pretend to be a janitor. And in the book, it has a whole thing where he's so deep in character <laughs> that he like threatens to murder somebody who's like acknowledging the plan, like even behind closed doors. He's just like, everyone has to treat me like a janitor. He parks in the like janitor's parking lot rather than the like kind of higher up lot. Um, Some but in- Daniel
3: Day-Lewis shit. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: but in this, it's different. It's not Dr. Rob's idea. Someone else is just like, she hasn't seen you yet is kind of the reason they hit upon this idea. As all the other scientists uh, have been talking to her, um, and so she, but then this again she kind of pretends to be like a a cleaning lady uh, and mm-hmm. you know befriends her through subterfuge. Um, but this one again begins in 1967 again with White Rabbit <laughs> listed as a new drop. us do a drop. sound drop
4: of White uh, Rabbit. If it ain't it's broke.
1: broke, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, But then, so the big change to this, this again has kind of the prolonged, but maybe slightly shorter, but still pretty long um, prologue before we jump to the present day uh, with Charlie being born, just showing how Andy and Vicky meet. But this has the difference where we first meet Andy, he's walking past Vicky and a original to this screenplay character named George Larson, who's Vicky's boyfriend. Um, Or if he's mentioned in the book, he doesn't, we don't really see him. I don't remember if he's like abstractly mentioned that Vicky had had a boyfriend when she went to do the lot six test, but here we're really seeing him They're playing frisbee. And there's like a whole bit where Andy tries to throw the frisbee back when it lands at his feet and biffs it and is embarrassed. Um, And then we have this whole scene where after the test, Andy goes to see Vicky at her apartment and George is there and he like brings wine and George naturally is like, what the fuck dude, get out of here. And Andy pushes him, but doesn't, doesn't know he's doing it on purpose. And George breaks up with Vicky and leaves. It just never comes back, which I thought was kind of an odd choice because it's sort of implying that Andy like kind of tricks Vicky into dating him. I mean, it still has the same kind of the, the book where one they're on lot six, they have this like deep, Almost dark crystal like mind meld bond of seeing each other's yeah. lives. Um, I really like that
2: addition though. I thought that was like a really surprising moment where they sort of get into the idea of like consent and like, does she, did I really fall in love with you or did you, did you make me? And hmm. I mean, it's underexplored because Vicky's fridged pretty early on, but I, <laughs> I think it was just, a, I thought it was an interesting wrinkle to introduce and to, and to explore um as far as the deviations yeah. go from this script. and
1: then in this one it has vicky joins andy when they go to break back in to the building and they mm-hmm. like they now witness the blonde male suicide jumper that's like the the end of this whole uh, prologue before we jump forward in time um and this also has the interesting thing that Andy's been like, we've now seen him push several people in the movie, but there's a scene where he's getting passed over for 10 year uh, by the Dean at the college he teaches at and ends up pushing this guy. And the Dean reveals the reason he didn't get 10 years for all this, like shady blackmail reasons, the stuff this Dean is fucked up. But this, this is the first scene now where, that they're saying in this movie where years have passed and Andy doesn't actually realize he has this power Uh, And this is the moment where you realize it and you kind of see him testing it out. Like he says to the Dean, like, I'd like you to pat your head and rub your belly at the same time. And the guy does it. (laughs) And so he like goes home and tells Vicky about it. Like, like, I'm not sure how I feel about it, if this is good or bad, but I was definitely like, oh, this is it. I mean, I guess it's interesting to put these things in scenes that we're actually seeing versus just kind of allowing it to be explained off-screen. If you're going to thread it
2: out like that, you're going to you're going to destroy the sort of the the back and forth chronology of the book and make it linear. I thought this was adding sort of some peaks and valleys into there to sort of add to your character development, or even just to get the audience sort of engaged in like thinking about that stuff. Like, would would you use this power to to you know make your job a little easier? Probably. Yeah. And uh yeah. And, they, and that. Go
4: ahead. Oh no, I was I was going to say I think it's questionable whether Vicky has powers or not because. During the lot six experiment, she thinks she's knocking over dominoes, but she's not. And Andy's like, Do I tell her that she's not actually knocking them oh, over? Yeah. And yeah, actually, um,
1: I think you're right. I think she maybe does not display powers. Yeah. In and this. then in another
4: section, it said it, it was pretty clear that she didn't have any. And I was trying to think of like if the room, when they have sex the room was heating up but i was i also had a huge issue with him being like she's a virgin oh my god my luck and then she says i love <laughs> you after luck. it and i was like oh no get that it was the 80s Oh, <laughs> um, um, vomit um but but that th- so i i couldn't i didn't know if it was that script or the the um bill lancaster script where that happened but in this it feels pretty clear she doesn't have any I think you're I right again later on, which they I thought blur was
1: together of- a little bit in my mind. <laughs> I read them back to back. Um, yeah. This also has a great scene that I don't remember if it was in the novel or not. So you guys can correct me, uh, but it would have been a good movie scene. It's where we see Charlie being born and, you know, the classic doctor does the little, the spank on the infant to clear their windpipe, but that, Causes Charlie to start crying and like the fetal heart monitor explodes and all this stuff is happening. And oh, this yeah. also has a scene yeah, within that's in this. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, because this is another example of Andy pushing someone but not realizing he's doing it. Is they want them to pay for all the destruction and he's getting really mad yes. at the hospital staff. Uh, but, you know, that's right.
4: it's when Charlie's born that it's hot, not in this yeah. one where they're having sex. I think that's the other script. But yeah, when she's born. Yeah, that I kind of loved. And I don't think the only thing in the book was like as she's a baby when she's like screaming or upset. Things catch on fire. Um, but that I loved. The birth was like I thought that was a cool addition, too.
1: Uh, and the other big change this has from the Lancaster one is uh, the Quincy character who I don't think is in the Drew Barrymore movie at all but was a minor character from the book was a friend from college who knows something about lot six that Andy's kind of able to call and get like sort of cryptic, you know, like, I can't really tell you, but I'll say yes or no, you know, that kind of thing. In this script, uh, they make the alteration of it's revealed that Quincy is still part of lot six. Um, So that was kind of interesting as far as just like looping in more characters that we had as you kind of know there's so many shop characters who especially in a movie terms you don't have time to learn anything about i think it makes sense to to keep some characters that andy in particular has relationships with so you get extra pissed off at the things they're doing to them
4: extra betrayal added
1: uh this has the thing from the book uh during the scene where charlie uh a great scene from the book where andy uh is all fucked up, but they need money. So he needs Charlie to go like get change out of uh, pay phones by, you know, using her telekinesis to trip the thing. And that is a scene where she overhears this GI being like mean to his girlfriend on the phone. And, you know, it's a big thing in how the, her powers work that she kind of needs to direct the heat somewhere. Um, And she ends up directing the heat to his shoes and lighting them on fire. But that is that whole scene. Um, And this goes back to Irv Mander's just gets injured rather than dies. Like I said before, everything basically plays out the same except now Dr. Rob is sort of pushed into the role of pretending to be a maid to win Charlie's confidence. Quincy's way more involved in all this stuff. thus it's more triumphant when he gets killed during uh, the big, the big action climax and the climax here, rather than getting launched as a human missile, it notes that, Dr. Rob is pinned to the roof using telekinesis and then Charlie sends a glowing pitchfork like a spear flies up and impales her like right through the neck and then her head bursts into flames. Um, (laughs) Andy again is is injured here, but does not die. So this has a whole ending where we cut to the today show where I, (laughs) I guess we would have had Gene Shalit playing himself. (laughs) <laughs> and it knows that he's sitting with singer Anita Bryant. I'm also guessing playing herself was the hope. Uh, Grant Tinker, the chairman of the board of NBC, suddenly walks in to interrupt the live feed with Andy and Charlie and is like, put them on the air. Um, and they sit down and, you know, give this whole expose and this though i love is a very john carpenter ending to all this of this kind of cheese ball scene of a thing that never would happen you know like i'm telling the world because the whole world's watching to the today show and then we cut back to the general store um which i think was in the town where they were hiding in the the cab in the kind of quote-unquote boring section where life is good and we see a couple old timers who we'd established there are watching the Today Show and they just change the channel because it's boring. <laughs> and he starts smoking a pipe and Carpenter was gonna zoom in on the like hot flame of the pipe, but I love that. Like the truth is out there, but no uh, one gives a crap. But nobody cares. Tell yeah. me
2: you didn't watch The Howling without telling me
1: you didn't watch The Howling. Yes! No, I was, I was, yeah, it very much reminded me <laughs> minus the uh, wolfing out.
4: I actually thought Irv and Norma were killed in this script. I thought the FBI agents come back and then kill them in their house. I
1: think they shoot them. Oh, does it have that part? Did I completely? Yeah.
4: Okay, you might be right. Yeah, because they get shot. They leave and the agents who escaped come back and they're like, we can have no witnesses to this, cleaning up the loose ends, which I was like, no, Um, that they were killed. Also this one, they (laughs) don't survive in that version (laughs) either. (laughs) But, uh, and um, then, yeah, the ending is is uh, howling is immediately when I was like, mm, yeah, interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then what do we got, Steve? All right. So we are.
3: OK, so August 19th, 1982, I guess it officially comes out that Universal pulls the plug because of the budget of 17,500,000. And the studio has come to grips with the reality of the budget in view of the current economic, 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 economic <laughs> what the fuck is this? Why can't I say this the language? economy, the economy, Jesus Christ, and the nature of the film business today. So the, what they were getting worried about was 70, 17.5 million and plus another eight or 10 for, million for marketing would balloon the movie to like 25 million and it would need 50 million to make back and that's like 1982 money we're talking about all this and so what happens is uh carpenter got paid his uh i found he got paid like eight eight hundred five eight eighty five eighty eight thousand five hundred eight thousand 50, gracious
1: Christ. I don't Wait, know. 850 or 8,000?
3: 8, yeah, 800, 850. Okay. Shit, sorry. Did not put that together. <laughs> I was
1: about to say, 8,000, that wasn't a lot even in 1982. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, he's, so he gets- A-list so he's, director. Yeah,
3: so he still, gets to, he still gets paid, and then Columbia Pictures comes to him. They bring him different seasons- and they were hoping he could bring that to the screen which isn't that like a, i don't even know
1: what that means that's four novellas four exactly novellas. Yeah.
3: that's all it says and so i was trying to figure it out too is oh. like is that uh ain't gonna be like an anthology maybe so i mean he, it
1: would have been a bad idea but maybe they were going to try <laughs>
3: briefly yeah, and so he would go on to say, they wouldn't allow me to, to make a fire starter for the budget I had prepared. Um, they wanted, they wanted it to be made very cheaply and I told them I couldn't make it that cheaply. They canceled the picture and they paid for that decision and I had a, pay or pl- I had a play or pay deal. So they still had me pay my full, my full salary. It was the first time I received an entire fee for a movie I never made. <laughs> uh, I began seriously question what I was doing after that. And so Bill Phillips will go on to say when the marketing folks at Universal got cold feet because of the thing didn't do well at the box office and Stephen King films were clogging up the pipeline and not doing well. They decided that since John is very good delivering low budget films, they would cut the budget from $27 million to $15 million. And since John didn't have to agree to do that, he didn't. He took the money and with it, he bought a Bell Jet Long Ranger helicopter. That's what Bill Phillips would go on to say. And then a couple of weeks later, August 31st, 1982, um, yeah, John Carpenter's announced to make Christine and brings Bill Phillips along to write it. And what's also interesting, as I mentioned earlier, El Diablo, this, the Western John Carpenter always wanted to make with Kurt Russell. Bill Phillips will go on to write that as that TV movie with Anthony Edwards and Louis Casa Jr. So I have never did. seen that. I never did too. And it took me a while years to realize that was the movie Carpenter was trying to bring to huh. the to the screen throughout the 80s. You know, like anyone that's you know, yeah, it, it comes up throughout the it was like how Ronnie Rocket came out throughout the 80s whenever you read about David Lynch. That was like his Ronnie Rocket, it was constantly, you know, brought up. And so in August 1982, a movie comes out called Class of 1984, which has like the greatest poster. And (laughs) Dino De Laurentiis went to go see it and immediately reached out to the director, Mark L. Lester. Before that, he made uh, Roller Boogie and he made a movie called Stunts. I think that might have been the key to hire him. Um, And yeah, so Dino immediately called him up and was like, yo, let's make a movie together. He was like, great. And they sent him the the Bill Phillips draft to read. And he said, I thought it was awful, but the book was great. So we got Stanley Mann to do another script and decided to just film the book. And he would also go on to say that he was upset that they took Rainberg out. And he said that in the script, he said, the Carpenter screenplay, that character was written out completely. They had changed him to a woman doctor. Some say that his wife, Adrienne Barbeau, could play that part. That was his theory. (laughs) And so they got Stanley Mann. uh, He wrote Eye of the Needle, Meteor, and The Collector. And he wrote the script in September 1982. Let's see. Oh, September 1982, just to touch base with King again. Cronenberg was attached to direct Dead Zone. Louis Teague replaced the Changeling director, Peter Medic, as director of Cujo. And Creepshow's released in November. And then we go into 1983. And um, Markel Lester's on board. And yeah, and then 1984, um, 1983, April, Stanley Mann hands in his draft of Firestarter. June 1983, June Barrymore is attached. August 1983, Cujo is released. August, I mean October 1983, Dead Zone is released, and um, yeah. So Firestarter starts shooting in West, in South Carolina in September 1983. Burt Lancaster was supposed to be in it, and then he is replaced by Martin Sheen, and then eventually uh, the the producer Capra of the new Firestarter, the 1984 one, we'd go on to say, I don't think anyone was really happy with the original script they had. Uh, the budget was a little high. Universal's interest in the project returned when Dino came in and said that he wanted to do it, taking the whole project from scratch, going back to a book for an entirely new script. And um, they were pleased with Stanley Mann's draft. And then also Lester would go on and say... Um, Oh, yeah, I just repeated that. Sorry. Um, (laughs) November 1983, Creepshow 2 is announced to shoot summer 1984, which doesn't happen. And then November 1983 is the final week of shooting. And it looks like the movie came in three million under under budget. And Dino wanted to do another Stephen King movie with Lester that January. Uh, But in December 1983, Christine is released, makes 21 million dollars. March, and then we're going to jump to 1984. March 1984, Children of Corn is released. And then May 11th, 1984, Firestarter is released. And it comes in third place. uh, Breaking, that breakdancing movie beats it, and (laughs) The Natural beats it. So it ends up making $15 million. Carpenter
1: won the budget. Yeah, (laughs) Carpenter.
3: Yeah, Carpenter won. Christine beat it. So I found that to be interesting. And then um, and then in 1984, there was like a weird announcement in this paper called BAM that says, uh, one project Lester won't be involved with is Dino De Laurentis's plan to make Firestarter 2 in a few years when Drew Barrymore turns 12. So is it about mm-hmm. when she starts hitting puberty, they wanted to do a sequel? Um, and... And then uh, Bill Phillips will go on after the movie came out and was like, I was disappointed with their ending using all those gimmicks. I had rejected as being too... T- I rejected them being too TV. You know, I feel like they missed an opportunity. They should have stuck with John and my script. It would have been a lot better. But they ended up hiring Mark Lester, who had proven he could do things on the cheap, and that's what he did. So... And then 2001, we fast forward to, and that's when uh, June 2001 is when Firestarter Rekindled is announced. And King is at that point, King is involved, but not right in the script. And then March 10th, 2002, Rekindle airs on sci fi. And then that June, they announced that Rekindled will be a TV show. And then that never happens. November 10th, 2010, Dino De Laurentiis passes away, but in December 2010, they announced that they're going to reboot Firestarter with uh, Mark L. Smith. He's the guy that wrote Vacancy 1 and 2 and The Hole at that at that point. And uh, Dino De Laurentiis was in development with it before his death, and they were also working on a remake of Maximum Overdrive at that point, also in 2010, according to that article. And then May 2014 entertainment weekly announced that tnt was developing a series called the shop which would be a sequel to which firestar
2: that, i
1: feel was a Ugh. good idea we talked about that at our yes. book club i i had been un- loved unaware somebody looked that up or i think clark maybe knew that detail yeah, but yeah because cool. reading the book i was just like we shouldn't remake the movie they should just do a the shop tv show <laughs> that's yes that's the thing to build upon
2: yeah, powers um, different to people totally. they're chasing yeah it'd be a cool show
3: totally they
2: could Gets probably still john do it.
1: rainbird in there they could yeah. still i mean again it a Rainier. little bit a quinn martin the, production the stranger <laughs> thing issue um, oh yeah you get that as a good point. but i mean i i think you could still do it i think there's room uh yeah. the stranger thing government feels more like the classic impossibly evil kind of government i think doing the Somewhat dumb bureaucracy version trying to cover up stuff would be interesting. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, Steve, you were still going though, or was that? Oh, yeah, of-
3: it's it's at the end now. And then 2017 is when this new remake was announced with Akiva Goldsman directing, and then September 2017, it comes out and is gigantic. And then June 2018 is when In the Fade director came into the direct Firestarter for Blumhouse. And then December 2019 is when they tapped the new director of the, the Vigil to direct the Firestarter we have now. And, and then, like I said earlier, I guess it has come out in interviews recently that it was supposed to be part of a trilogy or it still could be part of a trilogy. So, yeah. so we'll see, I guess. I guess that's, yeah, That that's that's the that's everything I got.
1: Well, yeah. I think I already know how Chelsea would answer this. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask you guys uh, in oh. the "What If" machine. You know, would you have preferred that Carpenter's plans had gone with this movie? But but then we live in a world where there's no Christine, and I would rather have his version of Christine, not knowing how this would turn out, and knowing that it didn't have Rainbird or anything like that. Uh, gives me yeah. some pause on how much I would have. I mean. I still think it probably would have been better than the movie we got. This was John Carpenter at the height of his powers were kind of everything he made, even his like weirdest movies were still kind of amazing.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, again, Christine, I think is my, it's funny as I like revisit cause I've seen like his entire body of work. He's one of my people know I talk about Carpenter all the time. He's one of my biggest influences, but um, Christine, I think really that movie really speaks to me on many levels and I love it so much. I will say that reading um, the uh, the the piece that Phil wrote um, and Lee Gambin in Fangoria, you know the the what ifs like you know what would that have looked like? Yes, it would have been amazing to find out. But what to me in that article was so, and I highly recommend people seek that out and read that article because it, it was so heartbreaking to me. We're all creatives on this on this podcast, mm-hmm. and. Um, it, it really broke my heart. And this is something I think about a lot as a, as a filmmaker. Um, and I'm sure y'all can relate to this too, but it, it broke my heart that that a box office number and if people go see your movie or how people who have never made movies react to your movie will dictate your career and will dictate if you get another opportunity. And that, like just reading that was so, oh God, it just broke my my heart. And it just is something that, you know, I'm thankful that some of my movies have come out on streaming platforms instead of theaters for that very reason, because that can dictate whether you get to a chance to make a movie again. And so that just crushed me. But I will say that him going on to, of course, the thing is, you know, people, that movie has taken a total turn, which is amazing that now people revisit it and be like, yeah, this is fucking genius. People were insane <laughs> when they saw it mm-hmm. and did not know what the fuck they were talking about. But um, Christine is such a special movie to me. And also I think in the article, it talks about um, the things Carpenter wanted to do. He, he eventually did get to do like something with a big emotional thread, like um, a relationship thread too in Starman, which was the first Carpenter I saw. Um, he, he did get to, to do those things. And you know, Jeff Burgess got nominated for an Oscar for that movie if I'm remembering that correctly. But um, so would I have loved to see this version? Yes. But then i'd be in a world without christine and i think i want the world with christine in it but that's me personally i'll let you all say what you want to say but that's me
1: how about you phil
2: yeah it well, was <clears throat> as chelsea touched on it the, my article ends with the with the fact that i think we did get carpenters firestarter it was just it was called starman it was these were the things that yeah. attracted him to the film was it was a couple on the run it was uh, a shadowy government agency is a bad guy which sort of tickled his anti-authoritarian streak And it, um, it was a road movie. He wanted to make a road movie. That was like one of the things about that script that got him all excited. And he got to do every single one of those things in Starman and including like the couple on the run being like, one of them was like this sort of childlike innocent, which I think is, you know, really kind of interesting. I, you know, a lot of folks, the narrative for them was, and he didn't get to do that, but he got to do Christine. But I'm like, yeah, but look what happened right after Christine. He scratched that itch completely. And it's, and it's a classic. And Weirdly, I think, I don't know about you guys, but <clears throat> I think that people don't really talk about Starman enough yes. in terms of Carpenter's yes. catalog. It <laughs> it's was so like, underrated. He, he was on this trajectory. And then I think he kind of got a little dismissed because he got pulpy again with Big Trouble. But like Starman is like, not to use the word elevated, but S- Starman is like A-list premium Carpenter. And it's really, a really special movie. And I think that had he not gotten kicked off of Firestarter, Starman might not have never happened
1: amen Mm. phil (laughs) i well yeah it's also because like going back to our our unmade stand movie in romero the sad thing there is that romero was a guy who just seemed like he had to fight so hard to make anything that didn't have zombies in it um (laughs) is that the idea of if he had made the stand and even if it hadn't done well just the the league that would have put him in and all the things he might have done in the late 80s and 90s versus like carpenter where after this he made some of my favorite john carpenter movies so it's like it's hard to imagine that he would have made all those same movies if he had also made firestarter so i know i wouldn't i wouldn't give up fair enough the rest of the it, it, 80s it, it, and <clears throat> 90s of carpenter we got
2: yeah it is it is fun to imagine his uh, firestarter and it's a, the, one of the sadnesses of reading that script is that I I mean, this is your podcast. You do this for every, every week, every different movie, but I don't spend a ton of time thinking about movies that didn't happen. So maybe this is (laughs) your normal experience, (laughs) but for me, I got really sad reading that script because I could picture that fucking movie. I mean, I could could hear the soundtrack. I could picture the frames and I could, and I was, as I said, I was casting it in the article. Like you could totally have had, and you could have gone either way. Jeff Bridges, he, maybe he got to Jeff Bridges a little earlier. and Jeff Bridges is playing, um, Uh, Andy, Andy McGee, or, or it's a Kurt Russell role. And maybe Jamie Lee Curtis has a, a a cameo as Vicky. Like you could totally see this with the carpenter players. Right. And um, so it's a bummer in that regard, but yeah, in big picture. I think that we all, we all want out.
1: I would have loved it. It I I would have loved Kurt Russell. And in some ways, uh, yes. Poor poor David Keith. Almost feels like uh we couldn't get Kurt Russell. We got Kurt Russell at home. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt
4: Russell light. Like, yeah. And I that's what I, I pictured that cast that is in the Fango um article while I was reading these scripts. And then again, it makes you feel like, oh man, I would love to
2: see that. Yeah. Did, did we put like Tom Skerritt as Hollister or something? I think you put Tom Atkins. Tom Tom Atkins, not Tom oh, Skerritt. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I know. I perfect. was like, <gasps> Oh my God. Wait,
2: Who it was did too you have easy have not in? to.
1: Who did yeah, you have as yeah. Oh, I guess Rainbird isn't in this. Never mind. I was no, going to say we, but,
2: there's literally a drawing of Adrian Barbeau as, as Helen Roth yeah. in there. Oh, That's it's awesome. <laughs> it's so Man,
3: cool. I, I'm so bummed I didn't read your article, dude. <laughs> what is still the time? Steve. Maybe I'll send you one. Oh, no, I don't have that
1: okay. issue. But I, if, if I you're you're have nice, a Gorilla, I'll
4: send you one. I have a spare two
1: <laughs> over here
3: somewhere. Oh, I'll get you one.
2: So.
1: No, reading the book, I'd uh, and I'd have to look up because I don't even remember actually when he died or what his health was like. But in the book, Rainbird is described as being just like a giant. So I kept picturing, you know, Will Sampson from Orca and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's ah, Nest. That's pretty and good. We're going to actually get wow. this good real First Nations guy, not George C. Scott. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And,
2: but that also speaks to the sadness that we're, there weren't a ton of uh, Native American w- working actors to yeah. choose from in the early 80s. There was like four guys that got all the parts, I feel like. yeah, the
3: bad guy from Firewalker and 48 Hours and he's... What's his name?
2: Oh shit. He was in Predator
3: too. Yeah. That he, was guy. Awesome. yeah Billy he would there. have been good. Yeah, he would that would have been good too. Yeah, because he could be charismatic, you know, too. Like him and Bill Duke's relationship, you know, he sells.
1: He had that what great else? lamp. Well, he's the guy they supposedly had to take out special insurance on Predator oh, right. for because <laughs> <a lunatic>. oh. <laughs> uh, he was a lunatic.
3: he's a good actor. Yeah. Um did you answer Josh?
1: Uh yeah, yeah. I mean. I would definitely prefer Christine. I love that movie. All right. On. Well,
3: here's a weird if I something I forgot about um oh by the way to go back when the press person from Fangoria first reached out to Dino's press people about Firestarter the the press person gave him a hard time cuz he reached out and he's like, "Yo, I want to write about this in our horror magazine and they were like, well, Firestarter isn't a horror film. And he was like, it's based on a King novel. And they were like, well, you know, they, they took his number and never called him back. But eventually he did get on set. But it's interesting to know that they were pushing it. And when you read Mark L. Lester interviews that they weren't pushing it as a horror movie at all. But when the cart, the bill, I mean, that is feels like a horror film. You know, like you said, I wonder I couldn't find if Botine was going to be attached. But mm. the effects would have been pretty. Amazing, sure. but in a weird world. Um, did you know that it won't do you know the movie Armed and Dangerous with John Candy and Eugene say the Levy? John Candy movie, yeah. So yeah. that project was originally developed by Harold Ramis to direct, and it was gonna star Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, and then Ramis was attached, and then in 1985, um, Dan Aykroyd was gonna be in it with John Candy, and John Carpenter was attached to direct, and so huh. What happens is a year later, Mark Lester comes on to direct Armed and Dangerous. <laughs> so once again, Mark Lester takes another Just Carpenter stalking. movie.
1: Yeah. Stalking what, Carpenter.
3: A, what a trip that would have been. Carpenter though. should
1: have remade Roller Boogie to get his revenge.
3: <laughs> but but to see like an Armed and Dangerous directed by John Carpenter, that would have been a trip. And yeah, but that's the other thing, too. If if John Carpenter made Firestarter, whoa. Well, what would have been, you know, would he have made the ninja with would, would would fucking Kurt Russell be a ninja? That would have been sick. I don't know. I'm I like that idea. But anyway. And then he was also gonna direct the Golden Child too, which would have been a trip. So I mean,
1: I feel like anything he would have done in the 80s based on the output he did have leads me to believe it would would have been interesting and yeah. not made money. That seemed to be <laughs> Uh, oh, dude! Tell,
3: imagine us right now saying like, what would a big trouble? Little channel have been like, what is yeah, exactly. You know, if that wasn't made and reading that like That's Mark awesome. Lester directing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but Lester did do that. Awesome. Well, you know what? I was looking through his thing and um, yeah, I mean, he, com- he does commando. He does showdown in Little Tokyo. If you ever seen that movie, mm-hmm. Dolph Lundgren, mm-hmm. the boss battle, he battles the dude from Mortal Kombat. Dude, fucking Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren gets shot in the heart. And then he grabs a sword and has a fucking sword fight. It's fucking <laughs> insane. I love class of
1: 1984. Me yeah. too. I mean, I, I like Roller Boogie. I hosted a screening of that and Lester <laughs> came out and did and a Q&A. Class of
3: 1999 is pretty great, too. Right, right. And then yeah, I saw
1: I, that as well. I always forget he did mm-hmm. class of 1999.
3: And I lost my shit for a second. I saw he did a movie called Double Take and I was like, Did he do the Orlando Jones, Eddie Griffin, Double Take. But it's not <laughs> that one, unfortunately. I was kind of bummed that would have been sick. <laughs> Imagine if he made that anyway. That's another one. Yeah.
1: Um, well, maybe to wrap things up, let's talk about some not what if machine stuff. Uh Chelsea, <laughs> what do you have in the pipeline that we could look forward to someday?
4: It always feels like a what if until it's like on that's the shop.
1: I don't I hope I didn't jinx. You. Um,
4: no 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 um i'm in like super super soft prep for my next movie which is my homage to i know what you did last summer and urban legend it is a retelling of agatha christie's and then there were none um so nice. i'm very excited about it and um yeah i'm getting to do something that i haven't done before i haven't done like a true teen thriller so i'm very excited about that um that's all i can say thus far we're about to start casting it's all coming together. I cannot wait to make movie number three. And of course, we're going to, you know, you're always working on like 12 different things, but this is <laughs> yeah. the next thing to come. Um, but yeah, that's me.
1: Uh, how about you, Ooh. Phil?
2: Uh, I'm going to cover Chelsea's new movie in Fangoria <laughs> whenever she tells me I can uh, just doing the damn thing for four issues a year. Uh, we're very excited about our summer issue. It's going to have a, very noisy cover that I can't tell you about, but Ooh. it's gonna. When people drop, it, it's gonna be a real conversation piece. I'm really excited about it. It's different than anything Fango's ever done before. Um, <laughs> nice. But on the Fango tip, you know, Stephen, I can name all kinds of movies coming out that publicists assure me aren't horror movies. If you want to hear, uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> please,
2: my tales of woe. Um, no, but you know, we're. Uh, I'm just head down in that magazine, trying to get the summer issue out the door, and then. Um, you know, our, our website's getting bigger every day. Angel Melanson over there is crushing it. And, you know, if people aren't following her or checking out what she's doing on the site, I, I would rather they do that than bother me one iota on the internet. Um,
1: (laughs) But your posts on the internet are very good.
2: Thank you. But I give it all up. If people would just leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) To that end,
1: where can people find you on social media? (laughs) <laughs> nope uh <laughs> anyway please and thank you <laughs> how about you chelsea
4: yeah i'm only on instagram um because i think everything else is garbage and i am sure. at chelsea stardust very easy
1: uh you can find <laughs> us on twitter at NeverMadeFilm film and on instagram at best movies never made we also recommend you check out the electric now app which allows you to watch video should you want it of our podcast and all the podcasts on our network speaking of our network we'd like to thank electric surge uh, including bill ritter and our producers mark a altman and dean devlin until next time this is josh miller and steve scarlatta saying we won't see you at the Movies.